This is day five of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Genesis chapters 17 through 20, and then Psalm chapter 5. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this time. Thank you for bringing us here again to your presence, to your word. We may increase in knowledge and in wisdom. Please help us to be more dependent upon you, to recognize, Lord, that we are not in control, that everything that goes on around us is a work of your sovereignty. Lord, you are gracious, you are merciful, and you are compassionate. All the different qualities that you ask us to be with others. Help us to understand that more deeply as we go into your word today. Please bless this reading. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house, or who is bought with money from any foreigner, who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house, or who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man one hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? 
And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day, as God had said to him. Now Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael his son. All the men of his household, who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. After that you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd, and took a tender and choice calf, and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk, and the calf which he had prepared, and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree, as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There, in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, 
saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again, and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it, in account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, O oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, Please turn aside into your servant's house, and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early, and go on your way. They said, however, No, 
but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot, and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, and shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you, and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hands, and brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law, and your sons, and your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords! Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me, and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life may be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the town was called Zoar. 
The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife, from behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning, and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham, and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Lot went up from Zoar, and stayed in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar, and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. On the following day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev, and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night, and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation, even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now therefore, 
Restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came about, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, My land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Psalm chapter 5 For the choir director, for flute accompaniment. A Psalm of David Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. 
but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. Okay, let's review what we read today. We see that there was a time gap of 13 years between chapter 16 and chapter 17. Because at the end of this, it says that Ishmael was 13 years old, and at this point, Abram is 99 years old. So 13 years have passed since the last chapter. And we have the Lord appearing to Abraham again. This is not the first time that the Lord has manifested a physical form in front of Abram. I believe this is the third time, if I'm not mistaken. And this time, he refers to himself as God Almighty, or in the original Hebrew, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is derived from a related word that means mountain. So this is picturing God as being an overpowering, almighty one that is either standing on a mountain or is the mountain himself. And when he calls himself almighty, he is referring to him being all-powerful, that there is no limit to his power. So this is showing the infinite strength and wisdom of God in this announcement. Now, he is going to establish the covenant with Abram, by the order of circumcision. Now, the circumcision was indeed the sign that was used back in the days of Abraham and all the Jewish people of the Old Testament. But today, circumcision does have its benefits, but it is not necessary for salvation. This particular section of the covenant does not apply to us today, because we, as God's chosen people, are not under this covenant. But rather, what God has shown us throughout the New Testament is that he desires the circumcision of the heart. He wants us to trim the excess of our hearts to where there is no waste in us, but all that remains is pure, undefiled devotion to God. And that's ultimately what God is trying to communicate through this covenant. But the people aren't ready yet. They don't understand this just yet. So they are doing it through a physical means, as a sign that they are God's chosen people at this time. The practice of circumcision was invented at this point. It was very strange for people to do this to themselves in those days, and so it was unique for the Jewish people to do this. But nonetheless, God makes the covenant that through the sign of circumcision, God will be the God of Abraham, and they will be his people. And this covenant carries with us to some degree today, because again, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. Then it talks about how Sarai is going to give birth to a son for Abram, which is now named Abraham. And the reason for this name change is because of what Abraham means. In the original Hebrew, his name means the father of many. So, therefore, he's aptly named Abraham. The name Sarai means my princess, and yet Sarah means simply princess. But in the original Hebrew, it's more of like 
a princess of a large group. And so it's very similar language to Abraham, how she is going to be the princess, or the queen, really, of a great number of people. Now, when God tells Abraham that Sarah is going to be giving him a son, he laughs. We usually think about Sarah being the one that laughs, but Abraham laughed first. And at first you may think, well, he laughed for joy, right? But then in verse 18, you see that that's not the case. Because then Abraham says to God, oh, let Ishmael be the one who lives before you. And so you see a little bit of doubt in Abraham. And you would think with all the things that Abraham has seen, and the fact that God is literally standing right in front of him, that he would believe God for this. So he has his doubts, of course, but God dismisses his doubt and says, no, I'm going to cause this to happen, and you need to take me at my word. And we know that Abraham is very good at taking God at his word, and we don't see any other issues with it after that. But then we see at the end of chapter 17 that Abraham wastes no time in doing exactly what God told him to do in circumcising every male that is in his camp including himself, at 99 years old, he still got it done. And that is the beginning of a long-standing tradition and essential part of Judaism that we see here. Now, chapter 18 changes gears, and it takes us to a point where Abraham is sitting under the Oaks of Mamre, and he sees three men coming. We see that these three men are not your average man. One is the Lord God himself in human form, and the other two are angels. This is what we often call a Christophany, or a theophany, depending on the appearance. But typically, when we attribute God to having a physical form, or there's an avatar of some kind of him, we attribute that to Jesus Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, this is usually called the angel of the Lord, And sometimes it's a capital A angel, and sometimes it's a lowercase a angel. But essentially, it's the same thing. It is a physical manifestation of God. And typically, it's attributed to Christ because he is the one that will have an earthly form at one point, and he is the one that is active in the creation. So most scholars believe that this is a pre-incarnate Christ that is with two angels, meeting Abraham. Very cool stuff. And so again, they talk about how Sarah is going to have a child. Sarah overhears the conversation, and then she laughs to herself. God hears it and says, why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah flat out lies after she had gotten caught with God overhearing that. And you would think that you can't lie your way out of this because it was God who saw you. But she tried anyway, and It didn't go well for her. But the main reason that God and the angels came to this place is because they were scoping out Sodom and Gomorrah. Their outcry to heaven was so great. Their sin and their evil was so bad that God was looking to destroy them. And then you see something very interesting happen between Abraham and God at this point. You see Abraham bargain with God. 
And this surely has to be an act of intense grace. Because who is Abraham to challenge God in what he's doing? But God uses this opportunity to not only show Abraham, but also to show us how he operates. Abraham understands the character of God very well. And we know this because he says that God is a God of justice, and he is not someone who kills the innocent without reason. That's why he says in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? He understands how God is. And he's not challenging God, but he's trying to understand what God is doing. And Abraham started with a number, 50. And then he whittled it down to 45, then 40, then 30, then 20, all the way to 10. And God promised Abraham all the way down to 10. If I find 10 righteous people in this city, I will spare it on their account. This again is the reoccurring theme of the remnant. And this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Perhaps God's policy about the remnant applies to us today. I wonder if God has spared America to this point because there's so many righteous people still remaining in this land that for their sake, he spares us. We can all agree if we are paying any attention to the political and social arena right now, that this country is so corrupt. It is so dark what is going on with all the LGBT stuff, with the corrupt politicians, with the infanticide going on in the abortion industry, the so-called war in Ukraine. Good is bad and bad is good right now. It's just disgusting. And yet God has not wiped us out yet. And I think it's because of the remnant. And I think this is the same kind of thing that is going on here in Sodom and Gomorrah. But in this case, there are not even 10 righteous people in the city. And so God is going to carry out what he had already planned to do. So he sends the angels to do the work. And they go to the city, and the men of the city want to have relations with them. Now, I don't know if the angels looked any different than normal people. They were probably disguised as humans, but even so, that's disgusting. But I also kind of find it sad as well that Lot would just throw his daughters at these people like they were just property. I know in those days it was a different culture and stuff, but it still feels wrong to me. But regardless of how I feel, the angels came to get Lot and his family out of there. And Lot tries to get his soon-to-be sons-in-law out of there, but they think he's joking around. So obviously, they're not taking any of this seriously. So the only people that escape are four people. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And not even his wife makes it that far, because she turns around in direct defiance to the command given, and she turns into a pillar of salt. There is indeed a very spiritual application that can be made with that. God has rescued you from the world of sin and corruption. So why would you want to go back to that? 
Why would you want to look back to your past, all the disgusting things you've done, all the addictions you held to, all the things that previously defined who you were, and they were not good things? Why would you want to go back to those things? Why would you want to pine for those old lusts? And that's part of the illustration that Lot's wife is for us today. But remember that the only reason why Lot and his family lived is like it says in verse 16. The compassion of the Lord was upon them. They resisted. They didn't understand what was going on. But the Lord was patient with them and gave them a way out. It was only because he had compassion on them. If he didn't have compassion on them, they would have died. God had compassion on you to save you. And he wants to fulfill his purpose in you, just like he did with Lot. Now, the means in which they fulfilled their purpose was disgusting, right? We have been talking about incest being somewhat okay in those days, where you could marry a cousin or something like that. But God points out here that this is completely unacceptable. This is very shameful for daughters to have relations with their biological father. That is completely wrong and unacceptable in any time period. But the offspring that come from this are the Moabites and the Ammonites. The people of Israel are going to have issues with Moab, but there are also people that we know that came out of Moab. For example, Ruth came out of Moab. In fact, Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David. So some good did come out of that as well as Moses having some interactions with them. But the Ammonites did not have anything good come from them. They were constantly at war with Israel, and they were full of idolatry, and so there was nothing really good that came out of them. But that's their origin, from the incest of Lot and his daughters. And then we see in chapter 20 that Abraham is back to his old tricks again, where he's sojourning to a new place, And he plays the same old game with the leader of that place, that Sarah is his sister. And while it is, again, a half-truth, it is the deception that God is drawing us to. God has big plans for Abraham and Sarah, and he's not going to allow anybody to get in the way, even Abraham himself. And so when Abimelech, the king of this place, take Sarah, who apparently, I guess, was old, but yet still beautiful, God appeared to this man in a dream and told him everything that was going on. And then Abimelech confronted Abraham. And we see in verse 11 through 13 that Abraham gives three lousy excuses for why he's deceiving him. He thought there was no fear of God in this area. He claims he wasn't lying because, indeed, Sarah is his half-sister, and that there was an arrangement that was previously agreed upon. The first time that he did it, when they were going to go into Egypt, that was the arrangement that he made with his wife at that time, and he's recalling that original statement. But despite those three really lousy excuses, Abimelech shows favor to Abraham and Sarah giving them a thousand pieces of silver, letting them sojourn wherever they want, and establishing an alliance, basically. And because of the goodness of this man, God rewarded him as well. 
Not only did he get to keep his life because he didn't keep Sarah, but he also opened the wombs. Apparently, because of Sarah, they were not able to have children. And so now that that has been dealt with, they were able to have children again. One important thing to take away from that is that nothing and no one can thwart God's plans. Not even you. So if God is working in your own life, you can't stop him from doing what he's going to do. Even if it's you that gets in the way of yourself. And praise God that not only he works in us, but he doesn't allow us to fail ourselves. We will have momentary lapses of judgment. We will have some backsliding. We will have some regressions. But God will accomplish his good work in you. Praise God. Now, as we come to Psalm chapter 5, this is another lament. David is still under attack of some kind. He's still dealing with enemies and people who are out to get him. And he's seeking God's refuge. There's a couple of very important theological points that we can make from this as well. Verse 4 especially. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. This is exactly right. God hates evil. He doesn't just hate evil deeds, but he hates people who are evil. So that is frightening, to be sure. But the other thing to look at here is like it says in verse 8, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. So often when we're under attack, we tend to take refuge in the wrong thing. But David is doing the right thing. He is running to God in times of trouble rather than running away from him. This is definitely a sign of maturity because it is not a natural instinct to run to God. Let me tell you that from personal experience. So often I want to run back to my old creature comforts, but it is a sign of maturity to run to God in times of trouble. David also understands, like in verse 10, that God is a God of justice. While David may not be able to do anything about these evildoers, he knows that God will. And usually God operates in this way, like it says here, by their own devices, let them fall. The way of evil always plants traps, always tries to set things up and scheme against people. And so often, God uses his justice to have them fall into their own traps. And man, is it satisfying to see that. So again, do not take matters into your own hands, but leave room for God's vengeance. He will do as he needs to do. Don't you worry about that. More importantly, worry about yourself. Take the two-by-four that's in your eye out before you start judging other people. And I don't think it's any surprise, but this is going to be our verse of the day. Psalm chapter 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. This is an important characteristic of God that we must keep in mind all the time. God is not a God of evil, and he does not love wickedness. He hates it. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time.
Take care and God bless you.